um, John 3.16 is where we're going to start. Everybody knows this verse, but I really want to drive it home because it's, it doesn't exist on its own. Before this is the visit of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is still in the room. Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus. When he talks about how we are saved, and he brings up that God has saved people in odd ways before. And he brings up the story of the brass or the bronze serpent. Do you remember that? They had, um, uh, again, real quick, there was a time where they had complained, and God does not like complainers. You look in the Old Testament, when did God get really angry? Complainers, whiners, doesn't care for that. So he sent snakes into them, and the snakes, when they bit you, you died. So, and it was a painful death. So they went to Moses asking for relief. He prayed to God. God said, take your brass, make a serpent, put it on a pole, and if you're betting and look at the pole, you'll live. You still hurt, by the way. There are consequences, but you would live. That is so against everything in the Old Testament. So why is he, why is God doing it? To get you ready for Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. To be a priest, you had to be from what tribe? Levi. Was Jesus from that tribe? No. You had to be in the lineage of David, and he was. But is he the only one in the lineage of David? No, there, there are some other ones. You're going to have to be ready to do things God's way, even when it looks wrong to you. How's that? This week on a uh, Facebook page that is, uh, it's a group that's closed, and it's for ministers. It's a place they can go and um, talk to people like me, and we can help them through some things. There are about 600 members. One of the things a man, you could, oh, you could hear the frustration in his, in his little words as he wrote there. He said, is anybody's church growing? And if they are, what program are you using? I wrote, we've doubled in the last three and a half years, if you're not aware of that. 51% of the people that attend here weren't here four years ago. So I said, we've doubled. Um, the program is intentional love. We tell people to love each other, love everyone who comes to the door, to love people at their school, love people at their work. And I went on a little bit of length, not much. And as you would imagine, almost nobody believed it at first. Yeah, but what are the programs that they're coming to? That's, it's all about loving them until they follow you home. Love them until they ask you why. People have a hard time with that, but that's how we built the last few churches we've been at, is just telling people, stop the program, stop. I'll get calls. Oh, I get calls from people that want to help me. It will cost a lot of money, and the money will be going to them, but this is really all for me. You get those kind of calls too. Uh, there's a robot call going around in our area now from Heather about your credit card. And uh, I keep thinking, I, I don't have one. <laughs> and I don't know you either. <laughs> it's, uh, by the way, there's a free app called Hiya, H-I-Y-A, that helps block these things. That's a nice one to get. Um, and since they don't let you shoot them, it's best to block them. Uh, so that's, that's a good thing. Well, we had, um, we had people that, that got in touch with me saying, uh, no, that, you, have to, you have to use this program. That'll make you grow. In this world, this program's the only one which we don't buy any of those. Have you noticed that? We never push you on the big ministry that's going to... We say, love one another. Love them even if they don't deserve it. Outlive and outlove them, and they will show up. And aren't they? I, I wish we grew faster, but I think maybe 
if growing slower is healthier for a church? I'm not sure. I'm going to let God call that one. But we are going to grow at the pace the Holy Spirit allows us to grow. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here is where everybody I grew up with went nuts. The NIV came out. Now, the NIV was not the version we used. I have to have them put up the version on the, the verses up here. I cannot quote scripture like our teens for one really awful reason. All of my memorization was out of the American Standard Version of 1901, which is an exceptionally accurate version of a pretty poor text. So they had to revise it. The new American Standard Version, by the way, is excellent. But the one I was, we thought this is the only one we were allowed to have, that or King James. So I memorized out of there. I have found that if I'm not looking at the words, I will start quoting and jumping versions. And so I have to pull back. But we, when we saw the NIV, we had sermons. They had a big lectureship series over here in Memphis. They made several um, new editions of a paper called The Spiritual Sword. Kind of gives you a character there. Uh, about why it was an absolute sin to have the NIV. And this is one of the verses why. Because we had always had an argument, big argument. And we go to this. Whosoever believes on him should be saved. But that doesn't mean they're going to be. If you believe in him, you should be. But if you weren't baptized and don't sing without instruments and take the Lord's Supper every Sunday, then you're not going to be saved. Believe in him or not. Anybody remember those arguments? I'm getting nods. Yeah. Then the NIV comes out with an imperative form of the word. Shall not perish. We have lost the imperative. In English. We don't use shall and shan't. Uh, and it's, it's a shame. In the, uh, to explain an imperative, in the Hebrew, uh, in the, um, the, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. You cannot translate that as uh, do not commit adultery, like most people want to. You, you lose the imperative. Thou shalt not commit adultery is another way of saying that will not happen. That is not an option. You shall not. I mean, it's off the table. We lost that. And here in the NIV, whosoever believeth on him shall be saved. And the howls went up from the room. I howled too because they were my tribe. You know, if they, if they howl, I howl. Later, and I'm not a Greek scholar from any way you want to look at it, but I know Greek scholars. So I went up to several of them and I said, show me how I can make my argument. And they couldn't. And that was a real crisis for me because I went to some of these preachers, some of whom I was related to, and said, if we have better text, and we do, the NIV comes from really good text, and we have an accurate version of it, and it goes against one of our arguments, shouldn't we adjust our argument rather than demand that we roll back the text? And I was cast out of the meeting because we cannot adjust our argument even if we find we are more accurate now. How sad is that? That's just, it's heartbreaking. That was one of the first cracks 
that would eventually, I cracked up as someone told, fell apart in pieces. That was one of them that I said, wait a minute, if we learn something new, we have to adjust what we teach. You cannot adjust. Then there's something wrong. You know, I'm, you know, I might be on the wrong road, but I'm making great time. Sorry, that doesn't make sense to me. Go, and let, take a look, because it makes sense where it is. Let God do it the way he wants to, even if it offends you with the bronze serpent. Then look what comes right after it. And remember, these were not verses and paragraphs. They ran into each other before we separated them. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. World's a big huge word, isn't it? That's a massive word. He doesn't say like Calvin would say. If you've ever read the Institutes for Christian Religion, well done. And you're still conscious. He, he tended to go on a bit, <laughs> shall we say. Uh, anyway, he needed an editor. He would have said, Jesus did not come to um, say, he came to condemn the world, but to save the elect those chosen before the creation of the world to be saved. So what Jesus says, Jesus is here. Let him describe his job to us rather than us tell him what his job is. His job is, he said, I came here to save the world. Everybody. Now, am I a universalist? In some ways, I certainly would like to be. I'm not sure that everybody's going to be saved at all. In fact, it's probably not going to happen if I understand scripture, but if God saves everybody, it wouldn't surprise me because of phrases like this. And if that offends you, remember how offensive that snake was to a people who were told, thou shalt not commit adultery, idolatry, and then they were told to make that and go look at it. Are you willing to do what God wants you to do even if it offends you? We had people in Detroit, when we started working with the homeless, who were a little offended because they said, we already pay taxes. There are already all of these shelters. Uh, and you're, we are encouraging them in their homelessness. You're not, people. If you understand homelessness, you are not. It's not like, woo, we can stay homeless. That's not what they do. But they were offended because they felt like, you know, if, you neither, if a man will not work, neither let him eat. Remember Paul's instruction? They felt that applied to these people. You may not know this. Most homeless people have a job. They just don't have a job that pays enough to get them off the street. But most of them have a job. That's why the shelters are closed during the day, because they're supposed to be out. Uh, I could go on and on. But I, I looked at them and I said, even if it offends you, come do it. And they said, well, why? And I said, because Jesus says do it even if it offends you. If Jesus says do it, you do it. And after a while, by the way, those people became the biggest cheerleaders because they were allowed the Holy Spirit to work on on them. Look at the next line. He, I, Jesus keeps boom, boom, boom. Whoever believes in him, now here's a phrase, you, is not condemned. I want to tell you something. I grew up knowing John 3.16 and the conditional should. I can never remember in my life, the 16 years I was at home, a sermon quoting verse 18. Because in every single text it says, if you believe in him, you're not condemned. Does that rattle anybody's cage in a room? It rattles mine a bit. Even though I'm, I'm happy to see it and I'm thrilled to see it, it still rattles mine because sometimes I look at God and say, you're making this a lot easier than I expected. 
And he also, he will look at me and he will say, not verbally because I'm Church of Christ, can't handle it, but in my soul I get this impression of, well, Naaman, sometimes I do things that look simple. Do you understand why I called myself Naaman? He sent the prophet to say, I have leprosy, what must I do to get over my leprosy? And the prophet said, dip seven times in the Jordan. And he said, that's too little, that won't help. Finally, a servant said, you know, if he told you to do some real big thing, you would have done it. He asked you to do a simple thing, why don't you do the simple thing? Sometimes I think we really want it to be more complex than it really is. Like the program of the church. What are your programs? Love one another. Think about this. Those kids, I don't know if you got the math. There are about 150 kids in the program. Only 80 of them did the work this year. Memorized the verses, came to the events, did service things, behaved, got good grades, didn't skip school, stayed off drugs. Those, those 80 are being blessed. We didn't tell them they have to come to church here a certain number of times. We just said, you have to behave. Face this way. And they did. When we go out and feed people, do we ask them what church they go to? We don't. The church where I grew up, and I moved all over, but more than one of them, when it gave away canned goods and such and boxes of spaghetti and such to families, had a rubber stamp that they put on everything from the Church of Christ and had their address. They thought that was really good to remind the people that Church of Christ loves them. I don't think that's the message they got. I, I think it was, it was like, hey, you owe us. Jesus is going, oh, if you believe in me, you're not condemned. But if you don't believe, you stand condemned already because you've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is a non-negotiable. You've got to believe in Jesus. This is why with our Muslim friends, when we brought them in, and we're still in touch with them, we're still working with them, it's, it's not like working with them, they're making us really look at, at Islam saying, hey, you know, no. Why? To us, it is a drop-dead line. It is the kill line. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is deity, and we're not backing off that. There's a wonderful book called The Islamic Jesus, written by a Muslim to explain why they don't accept Jesus uh, as deity. It is written with humility. Um, it is very easy to read. <coughs> I really enjoyed it so much that I bought a second book by the same guy, and I enjoyed that as well. Uh, it's called Islam Without Extremes. Excellent book as well. But the Islamic Jesus, and I noticed as he made his argument, he never went to John, and he never went to Hebrews. He would quote out of others, and I just thought, I wonder if he knows John or Hebrews. You can't assume that they do. Because they didn't know Jesus' stories when I met with them. And started telling them, and their jaws were dropping. So you can't assume they know. You go to John, John does not give you any wiggle room here, does he? Jesus. Jesus. That's why I keep focusing on Jesus. Now he's, he's staying on the same subject. In fact, coming back to a theme of the book of John, but before I do that, do you have anything you want to chime in here? Have I raised a bronze serpent and that offends anyone? By the way, God eventually told him to break that thing down because they started worshiping it and gave it a name. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, Romans, Romans is troubling, and I would, um, I'm going to answer that, but I'm going to throw into the mix Second Peter, which is even more troubling, because he talks about some people who are born like brute beasts only to be destroyed. Uh, and the Bible talks about, for example, you know, Abel I have loved, but Cain I hated. God, that's why I said I would like to believe he's going to save everybody. I can't say that he is, because if I read scripture, there are some not. When he talks about born, um, born really to be an object of his wrath, it is, it's not consistent with the rest of Scripture to believe that God condemns an innocent child. Uh, that's, that's just not... So we have to go back and say, what is he trying to say? There are those that either through genetics or upbringing, and by the way, that's still a fight nobody's winning, nature, nurture. Um, as a shrink, let me tell you, they're still fighting it. Um, I think there are people that are born with a handicap when it comes to belief. I believe some people are given a gift of faith. I've met them. Uh, I've, had, I've had to struggle for my faith. But I've had some people who I really believe as soon as they came out of the womb went, praise Jesus. I mean, they are just... But for, if I believe that, then I believe that there are others for whom faith will always be a struggle. And I do. I do believe that. I believe that God has problem children. When he says, Cain, I have hated, I don't believe he meant that from the moment of Cain's birth. I believe he meant from the direction. And I believe born to be objects of wrath, to make it consistent with what Jesus said about the children being innocent, we're going to have to talk about, this must be a metaphor, a, a, um, an expression which indicates the arc of their life has always been away from God, not to him. And here he does say, if you're not in Jesus' line, you are condemned. I mean, that's a, that's a plain thing, too. For example, I won't say his name. One of these Muslims is quickly becoming one of my best friends. His heart is amazing. He is such a sincere, kind man. Does it keep me up at night that he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, it does, because I believe there are consequences. Therefore, I'm going to keep loving him and find a way the best I can. You know, all I can do is the best I can. You know, Romans also talks about uh, those who have no law who act as if they have the law. They, uh, they don't know God, and yet they act better than those that have the law. Remember that whole discussion? Romans is a complicated book, but I appreciate that. And, and, and I hate to do this. Next Sunday, it sounds like I'm, put, I'm putting it off. Remember I talked about, I said I was going to talk about false teachers next time. We need to understand the word false and what it meant there. And I think what I'm going to do is wrap the word wrath in there as well and talk about that and put it in its context into that first century. Um, let me just give you a preview. Uh, without going too far from this. I, uh, if we had had wine this morning for the communion, that would have been absolutely fine. If you don't believe that, shelve that argument. We'll talk later. Uh, it would have been absolutely fine. Uh, we could have had a grape juice one for the alcoholics <laughs> if, that's, if they were afraid of that. And I'm laughing, but I understand that that could be a real problem. I get that. And my family, several of my relatives believe alcoholism is the biggest indoor sport available. So I get that. 
But if we were to have wine, I know that there were people that would declare that I'm a false teacher because we had wine. False in the Bible, does, false teacher does not mean that they disagree with you on this or that point of doctrine. It's about what their heart is. And I'm going to leave it at that. Sermon's already written. It's already in their hands. Come back and we'll talk about that. So again, while I'm a hopeful universalist, I find in Scripture not a lot to lean me toward total universalism. Um, whoever does, let's see if we're going to do it. Oh, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their, their deeds were evil. Remember when I was a boy, I'm not really sure what I saw that, maybe it was just driving by one or something, but there was a bar and it had the blacked out windows and some neon, and I was just a wee boy. And I asked my mom, why, why are they dark in the windows? And she goes, because people go in there don't want people to see what they're doing. You know, she, would, she, had, she had a point. There's a reason why some of these places, the lights go down. You, you, if you go into one of these where, where women are uh, displayed uh, and you know, evil men go and pay, where the men are is dark. The, um, there's a reason for that. And John is using this metaphor again, which he started in chapter 1, and he's going to keep all the way through, light and dark. Are you in the light? One of the reasons why I'm a minister, because I get asked, they'll say, you know, your degrees are elsewhere, you're an introvert, so you're not suited for this job, but I'm very, yes, I, I get that. I, I, I understand that, I'm, I'm not. And they'll say, well, then why are you? There are several reasons. One's gratitude, uh, because I know what I was, and I know what I am, and I, he still saves me. But there's another one, and it's a really big one, and people tend to think, oh, he's just saying it. No. I'm a minister so that I'll be at church. I'm, I'm a minister so I will stay close to God, because I know me. And if I don't have to be here, there's a chance I wouldn't be. Because I'm one of those that loves God with all my heart. Oh, look, a squirrel. I need, I need the focus. I need the accountability. That's why I always assume when I walk into a store, somebody there knows who I am. Anytime I walk into somebody here, not because I think I'm famous, but because if people are watching, I'd better not let them down. I need that. For some of you can be good that's, you're just good. Me, I need that extra push. I'll never forget, we, we went on a cruise with the Castellis. Here we are off in an ocean somewhere on a boat, you know, and I'm just, I'm getting dessert. And um, it's, it's free. So I had a big tray. And this young lady beside me looks and goes, are you Patrick Mead? And I'm going, seriously? And I looked over, and, I, and a lot of times I would say, you know, um, no hablo ingles. Um, <laughs> but I said, yes. And she said that I'd done a youth rally where she'd been years ago, and she really liked it. And I was going, whew. Uh, but I was also very grateful that I had not yet filled my tray with all the sweets, but had a very Christian amount <laughs> until she left. But the point, the point being, even on a ship, I had, I, 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 my wife often says, I can't take you anywhere. 
but that's actually a good thing for me. I, it's kind of a requirement for me. And I'm saying that this, 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 sermon, this is not about me. I'm saying that for those of you in the pew that struggle being good and keeping face forward, understand that sometimes your ministers and shepherds do too. We're in this together. If you put me on a pedestal, that's only further for me to fall, and I will fall. I don't want to fall that far. Let's all be down here. Rely on Jesus to save us. Darkness, I need light on me so I will behave. I think a lot of folk do. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Have you seen that on television in the last few weeks? People that you thought I mean, right now, there's a, there's, I'm not really big into comic book movies. Although I did go see Wonder Woman, and it had a whole lot of Christian and faith subtext to it, which if you watched it, I kept going, oh, oh, one after another. Um, I won't tell them to you, but anyway, uh, spoiler alert, Wonder Woman wins. Um, they always do. It's kind of like, a walk, remember Walker, Texas Ranger? Oh, my goodness. Wow, what a formula. I, I, I watched two then I'd really seen them all. But my kids watched them all the time. And I walked through, is this the one where he wins? And they would, I'd, they'd make me leave. <laughs> the current comic book movie where she's in it with Batman and a couple others uh, is not doing well. It may not, it, it may be tanking. Not so much because the movie's bad, although the reviews have been seriously mixed on it, but because Ben Affleck is in it and he has just been outed as somebody who abused several women. People are upset. They should be upset. I think we should be more upset, frankly. But how, isn't it interesting how after Harvey Weinstein, everything's coming. And people like Senator Franken, who stood and sanctimoniously lectured others about this, has now been shown to do it. People don't like the light because they are scurrying. And right now, both sides are doing it. Your people are bad. Ours are forgivable. Oh, I hate that. I really do. I had a person talk to me about how awful Roy Moore is. And I don't know. Uh, it, I'm certainly concerned. But this is the same person who had supported Ted Kennedy. And I'm going, um, can we back this up a little bit to Chappaquiddick? And there was a whole host of others, Chris Dodd and others. I said, both sides are in this. Don't try to act like they're not. The world is ugly. Turn the light on and look what happens. Jesus is light. Not everybody's going to like the light. Wish my mother-in-law were still in here. She's gone off. Uh, Cammy works with Scott Hamilton. They do a huge event once a year to raise money for cancer, for, uh, to help cancer um, research for children. Scott's got his cancer back for the third time, and it's pretty bad. But he refuses to talk about it. He smiles, and so he is. By the way, he goes, uh, goes to the Church of Christ uh, most of the time where he's around. A lot of times up to Otter Creek. Um, anyway, that said, so she's away, and she, my mother-in-law went to help her. Um, my mother-in-law has always had a problem with the amount of light I'm using. It's not enough. I'll sit there and be reading. She'll go, don't you need more light? I go, no. But you're going to ruin your eyes. No, that's not how eyes ruin. It's, that's, phys that's, a, that's a myth. Um, we're good. <laughs> and there it goes. 
There's a 1500 watt Klieg light just, just ignited above my head. The, word, the pages are seared into my brain. My corneas are under the couch now, hiding. We have a disagreement on how much light you, but there are other times, the, the older I get, the more light I need. I need that dimmer switch. <laughs> Here's the point. We always have an opinion about light, but God says that's why we call Jesus light. You're either going to welcome him or you're going to hate him, but you're not going to be neutral. Sometimes the same person who welcomed him will hate him because of what they're doing. His character does not change. Where are we? Yes, I'm sorry. When I use these to read, and then you guys are just a blur. A highly attractive blur, but a blur. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, um, there is, he's talking about, there was a, a gospel that was written after, um, was, I think it's like 300 years, uh, called the Assumption of Peter, where it has an angel telling Peter, don't let everybody know, don't let anybody know, but they're all going to be saved. In some ways, that one makes me smile. It's kind of like, I hate to tell you, but I'm going to. I work with law enforcement a lot. You know that, no big spoiler mainly federal, but with some state as well. And I, uh, every so often, I go up to Lansing, Michigan. And the only reason to go to Lansing is either to help at the police academy or go to Elderly Instruments, which is the world's greatest guitar store. But that's it. So I, I, I would always combine them, and I'd go up and help at the academy. And the, the officers have an expression, a trooper, in Michigan, I have no idea what it is here. Nine is fine, ten you're mine. On the interstate, if you go nine miles over, they'll probably cut you some slack. Ten, they're not. Um, don't, do not live by this rule. I don't know about Tennessee. But what if you knew they didn't give you a ticket until, until 80? What, what speed would you go? You see what I mean? Sometimes I think God didn't tell us the, how wide grace goes because, well, think of this. Um, if you knew there was a certain button, when you pushed that button with your wife, the marriage was over, then you would know how close to get to the button. I don't know how close. I'm a little afraid. She owns a firearm. She's American. And we're handed out at birth. So, you know, and she knows where I sleep. So I'm, you know, I'm going to stay way back from that button. That's the point. It, it's, when you were a kid, you didn't do that. When you were a teenager and they said... You know, there's an on-ramp, and it says 45, the yellow sign. And one of your friends goes, do you think you could do this at 70? You tried. I'm thinking, you know, at 74, it might flip, so I'm going to go 41. You know, I don't do that. The people in front of me going to Spring Hill at night need to be disciplined by Almighty God. It's 55. It's 55, and they're going 37. And I'm thinking, is your wife ugly? Are you, you don't want to go home? What's wrong with you? Anyway. I'm not terribly Christian, but the light's not on. So there you are. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may, it may be plainly seen what they have done has been done in the sight of God. After this, Jesus and the disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Wouldn't you love to know more about this? But oh, we're on the way to another story. Now, John 
also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and, John, and people were coming and being baptized. This is before John was put in prison. By the way, that verse 24 does not exist in a lot of early manuscripts. It was probably a notation on the side that worked its way in. It's all right. Um, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew. <laughs> a certain Jew. They're all Jews, but I don't really understand the phrasing. Over the matter of ceremonial washing. Okay. They were arguing over baptism. Jews had baptism. We talked about this uh, in our class um, last week where you cut, they cut, normally they, it was down, below ground. They would cut into the stone uh, some steps and then you would, there'd be like a baptistry like we have here and they would dip themselves and then they would take other steps out. They're called mikvah. And if you have more than one, mikvahut. And, and they did this before worship. They did this after times of sacrifice or before times of sacrifice. They did this in times of national repentance. Some people did it almost daily, kind of like uh, some Catholics would go to Mass daily. Uh, this was just a part of them, the ceremonial washing. So when John was baptizing, that was not unusual. But why he was doing it was unusual. He was calling them to repent, clean up, because the kingdom was coming. And there were people that were arguing about this. There were other ritual cleansing that you did. There was uh, the washing. Do you remember the jars? We talked about the jars at the wedding feast where you would wash and let, and there was a prayer you'd pray as the water ran off this elbow and a prayer that you would pray when it went off this elbow. There were a lot of these rules. Uh, among the Celtic people uh, that speak Gaelic, the Carmina Gaeltica, which is a collection of prayers and sayings among the Gaels uh, of Scotland, there was even a, a particular prayer and song you would use when washing a dish. You know, there were rules for all of it. A, a prayer that you did when you lit the fire, a prayer that you said whenever you banked the fire at night, you didn't put it out when you banked the fire. Um, people will argue you're doing it wrong. You're in, a, you're in a restaurant. Why is it in restaurants that they don't want you to talk? I think it may be to move you out sooner because the music comes up and it's loud and clattering all around and you get your food and Christians look at each other you're not eat. We have to say, but if you say a prayer most prayers I've heard in restaurants I've never heard you know what I mean? I'm just listening for the sound of movement to begin again some people would be very offended if you didn't pray uh, we get offended over stuff pretty easy don't we? I've told you before, about, and, and you've seen it as well, about somebody getting up and, say, and saying a prayer, then passing the cup first. Oh, horrors. I was at one church where the guy kept trying to hand it, and he was not taking it. And, and it was just going back and forth. And I thought, somebody leaned over to me and goes, they should, they're supposed to do the bread first. Like, I didn't know. This is my first time. And I leaned over and I said, maybe he read Luke instead. What? Luke. What about Luke? All he knew about the Lord's Supper was Paul. He hadn't read Luke, where Luke does the cup, bread cup. I don't think you need to do it in a particular order. But we argue about everything, don't we? Somebody should be yelling now. No, we don't. And that would make my point. That would be, that'd be beautiful. It's a hanging curveball, people. Swing, swing. 
By the way, that was a good catch uh, this morning with the pumpkin. I was going to turn over to DJ. Uh, DJ Rayburn, one of our members here, is an umpire in the major leagues. Baseball major. I was going to say, was that a strike? Was that your? But I didn't. I controlled myself. I was so proud, I had to tell you. Um, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man that was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified, look, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. <gasps> They're leaving our church and going to him. I'm going to tell you something. This is going on. I got to end here in a bit. We do have a struggle in Franklin I have never seen before. Most of the pastors in the area will work with each other and they love this church. And they will work with us at the drop of, but working with each other terrifies them because they're just certain somebody's going to steal their people. I, that, if I had a guest that would flabber it, I would be flabbergasted. And when somebody flabbers your guest with gusto, it hurts. You know, people, if you ever got in my brain, you would pay money to get out. Cammy never asked me what I'm thinking. She didn't want to go there. It's an amusement park full of dark rides. Um, I want you to believe in Jesus. If you would be more comfortable at a different place and able to then draw closer to Jesus. Okay. Okay, because it's not about me, is it? It's not about you. We're going to be fine. They're coming to John saying, this guy, Jesus, you endorsed him and now he's taking your people. He's baptizing people. And John is going to have to... Um, to deal with it. I'm going to go ahead and read this. I know we're past time. Can I just do this? Because we have no class the next week. Uh, it's, yeah, we're going to be classy people, but we don't have Bible classes because it's Thanksgiving weekend and evidently that. Anyway, uh, to this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Now we're coming back to what you were saying. What is, and, and I absolutely buy that. We're going to be on different levels of spirituality and a lot of that is genetic. It's from the womb. Some of it's nurture as well. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. These people belong to him. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. It's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. There's your attitude. Um, I left Detroit after 10 years there. Loved that church. Loved what we were doing but they were hiring away my staff because everybody wanted a piece of what we were doing. So I called them in and said, guys, if, you're, if I don't leave, you, you'll never be able to lead. So in six months, I'm going to leave. And there were a lot of tears. And we, did a, we designed a, a parting program for me for six months as they stepped up. And they did, and they're doing a great job. Uh, somebody asked me after, well, how can you do that? And I said, because John teaches us to step back and let Jesus ascend. Step back and let Jesus ascend. I'm not bragging on my humility here. That would be weird. Uh, the point I'm trying to say is we all got to get into this. It's not our church. It's his. Last thing, I was at a church and this lady, you know, older lady, you know, I walked over and she's sitting there. She goes, my family built this church. I said, really? I knew what she was trying to do was watch yourself, buddy. So I, but I, I knew she meant the building, so I wasn't impressed. So I leaned over, I leaned over and said, so, Paul, 
was he as cranky as people say he was? And that didn't go well. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to be a jerk. I'm gifted. I'm gifted <laughs> at jerkitude. So uh, go contemplate on that now and try not to be a jerk. We'll talk to you another time.